Computer, initialize Holosuite. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Sci-Fi Feminist Podcast. This is already the 20th episode and I can't believe that I've already come this far with the podcast. I'd like to thank everyone for their support up to this point. Today I'm going to be talking once again about female cyborgs. This seems to be a topic that I can't get away from or that I struggle to distance myself from, but it is because they are just so interesting. I've done episodes on Seven of Nine from Star Trek Voyager and Star Trek Picard before, so if you're interested in this topic, go and listen to those episodes too, as well as an episode on the Borg Queen from Star Trek. But today I will be looking at something a little bit different. I will be looking at Terminator. This is one of my favorite sci-fi franchises. Um, the first time I was introduced to Terminator was in 2018, actually, which is quite late, when I had to do research on it uh, for my PhD. I watched Terminator 1 and Terminator 2, and I can remember I was a bit sick that time. <laughs> but anyway, I really enjoyed those movies, and I was super stoked about Sarah Connor when I saw her for the first time. What a great action heroine, and I've talked about her in previous episodes too, I think the first few episodes of this podcast. So if you're interested in Sarah Connor, there's definitely, um, I have covered that topic too. Today, I'm going to look a little bit at Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, and the TX Terminator, which was the first Terminator to, uh, the first female Terminator to feature in the series. And then I will look at the most recent iteration, Terminator Dark Fate, which unfortunately did not perform very well at the box office, but which was, in my opinion, a pretty entertaining and fun movie to watch anyway. I'll be talking about the female cyborg there. Her name is Grace. So first of all, I will talk about how the TX model, the female Terminator from Rise of the Machines, which I believe was released in 2003, how she perpetuates the post-feminist version of femininity. Post-feminism is also something I have talked about in the past, relating to Laura Croft especially. So to find out more about post-feminism, feel free to listen to those episodes as well. So without further ado, then let me get into today's discussion. So first of all, let me then give some background on these two cyborgs. The TX, so like I mentioned, she's actually a Terminator model. She's a female Terminator from Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Um, yeah, which wasn't an amazing movie, but it was entertaining. Um, so the TX is sent from the future to kill John Connor and his future wife, Kate Brewster. And then Grace from Terminator Dark Fate, she's a technologically augmented female soldier. And she is also sent back in time to protect Danny Ramos, the future leader of the human resistance against the machines. What's very interesting about Terminator Dark Fate, though, and this was quite a plot twist, which took place in like the first five minutes of the film. But actually, in Dark Fate, John Connor is killed by the T-800, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, within the first five minutes of the film. And then later, it's revealed that Danny, she's not the mother of the male savior of humanity, like Sarah Connor is in Terminator 1 and 2, 
but she is actually the one to save humankind from the machines. So in Terminator Dark Fate, which was released in 2019, they really subverted this whole male hero thing by actually saying that, you know, the female hero is not the hero because she's the mother of the male savior, the male hero, but she is actually the savior, which um, I found quite interesting and which I think is maybe one reason why it failed at the box office. I think many fans weren't too happy about that um, because, you know, for five movies before that, John Connor was always the hero. So um, that was an interesting twist. And then we see a much older Sarah Connor reprised by the awesome Linda Hamilton. We see her return in Terminator Dark Fate. And for me, this really explicitly links the film to the legacy of those second those second wave, I call them second wave sci-fi heroines, but the sci-fi heroines that appeared in 1970s, 1980s, and 1990s sci-fi, such as Ellen Ripley, Captain Janeway from Star Trek, and also Sarah Connor. So we see Sarah Connor is reintroduced to us, and she's also played by the same person who played her in the 90s, 1980s. Um... So then let's talk about the TX first. Um, what makes the TX problematic and what makes her empowering? And how does this compare to Grace from Terminator Dark Fate? So yes, I'm not going to focus on Sarah Connor in this episode, but rather the cyborgs. Uh, I just got a bit sidetracked there. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm such a fan of Linda Hamilton and... Um, I always wish that I had her beautiful arms that she has in Terminator 2, but that's beside the point. Um, okay, so first, the TX. So the TX, she's actually played by Christina Loken. She's not a very famous actress, um, well, to my knowledge. But what I found interesting is that there was a Blood Rain movie made. Uh, Blood Rain is the video game character. Um, and Christina Loken also played Blood Rain. And like I argued in the Laura Croft episodes, Blood Rain presents this very ideal post-feminist type of heroism or femininity, which I will explain in a little bit more detail now. But it's interesting that it's the same actress. <laughs> okay, but anyway, um, Terminator Rise of the Machines, uh, which is Terminator 3, was released in 2003 when third-wave feminist theory and post-feminist representations in popular culture started to become canonic. And also this featured the first female Terminator or first female cyborg in the franchise. But what's very interesting is that even though the TX model, so that's actually the machine model, so it's actually a machine, the TX, she's not a human being, she's a machine, so even though the TX can supposedly take on any form, as soon as it arrives from the future, it immediately adopts the form of a woman. And then the TX does not just resemble any woman, but the machine is young, she is heterosexually attractive or stereotypically beautiful, she's got blonde hair and blue eyes, she wears heels and a tight leather suit that has very no low neckline to draw attention to her large breasts. And she's very seductive, <laughs> which is pretty weird for a machine. Um, the first thing that I found quite strange 
about this is that there's a machine from the future that knows how to seduce and how to be like sexually attractive. In fact, um, the the TX's physical appearance is very similar to that of Seven of Nine in Star Trek Voyager. So if you know what Seven of Nine looks like, uh, there are a few pictures of her on my Instagram. Um, if you didn't know, I am on Instagram, so you can just search the sci-fi feminist on Instagram. You can see that she's very sexualized. Her figure is quite exaggerated. She's got quite large breasts, a thin waist, wide hips, and she wears this very tight outfit, quite similar to the TX. So like I've also argued about Seven of Nine, the emphasis placed on the TX's feminine signifiers, so that's her breasts, hips, but it potentially figures the female cyborg as, and I quote from a theorist called uh, Despina Kakudaki, she says, they are a pornographic subject that encourages the male viewer's identification with technology. Okay, so from the onset, I found this machine quite problematic in terms of the representation of women in pop culture. Okay, but then let's move on. Okay, the TX, uh, and this is maybe a bit more the subversive part of the TX. The TX is portrayed as unemotional, focused solely on her mission, and also possessing a lot of physical strength, which, according to post-feminist reasoning, provides a model of femininity that is not stereotypically over-emotional, hysterical, and weak. Interestingly, the TX can also control other machines, which is an ability that the male T-800, which is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, does not have, which suggests that women have a symbiotic relationship with technology, which is quite subversive. Because like I have continually explained in previous episodes, um, there is always a dichotomy between um, nature and culture and women and technology, where women are associated with nature and the primitive and men with technology, culture and um, yeah, everything that that entails. <laughs> Okay, so then linking a woman with technology, especially giving her the ability to control machines, is quite subversive then. The TX is also more powerful, faster, and more intelligent, and that is how the T-800 describes her, than him. <laughs> and that suggests that women can possess characteristics conventionally associated only with masculinity, and that they can actually even improve upon these characteristics, like other uh, post-feminist action heroines like Laura Croft also do. And in true post-feminist fashion then, the TX is, and I quote from Stephanie Gaines, both beautiful and strong, and weak femininity is imbued with masculine strength and power. Okay, uh, maybe I should give a bit of a brief background on post-feminism at this stage. Post-feminism talks about the empowerment of women through their sexuality, actually. So even though I see it as problematic that she's sexualized, actually, in terms of post-feminism or in a post-feminist reading, the TX would be a very subversive and positive version of femininity to follow. Okay, and that is further... 
how can I say, people following the post-feminist argument would further argue that it's subversive because she's strong. And her weak femininity is not weak, but her femininity is her power or her strength. Okay, I don't describe to, to this idea, but that is what some of the arguments have said. Okay, so the TX negotiates, and I quote here from Rosalind Gill, the post-feminist entanglement of both feminist and anti-feminist themes within them. So as I mentioned earlier, even though the TX is a machine made from purely inorganic matter that can supposedly take on any shape and should therefore theoretically have no gender, when it arrives in the present, uh, from the future, it chooses to take the shape of a young, attractive, blonde woman, which also conforms to the stereotype of ideal Western femininity. So what Western beauty looks like. And then upon arrival from the future, the TX also apparently knows how to use her female sexuality to her advantage. So first, and I thought this was quite funny, the TX steals another woman's sports car and her skin-tight red outfit. And then she instantly enlarges her breasts, okay, as apparently only female machines can do, because I've never seen the T-800 enlarge his muscles. So she enlarges her breasts to manipulate a police officer that pulls her over for speeding. And then in some, at some point, uh, when she's looking for John Connor, she's also seen su suggestively tasting the blood of her victims in order to identify who they are. But then in another scene, we see that they, she can actually identify her victims by just scanning them with her eyes. So this is really just there to make her look sexy because the way she tastes her, the blood is like, it's very sexy. So I really, um, feel like they over sexualize this TX. She, she doesn't have to be the sexualized, but somehow this is a very sexualized machine. So for me then, I argue that instead of providing a possibly subversive model of femininity, the TX is unfortunately, like I also argued about Laura Croft, and I quote from Gens again, an isolated symbol of empowered womanhood that is far stronger and faster than a typical woman and fundamentally unattainable by most women. In fact, the TX is not even a human being, but presents its exaggerated strength and sexual appeal as normal for all women. So it's thus not surprising that this post-feminist version of empowerment often results in eating disorders among women and self-harm among girls who strive towards it, because it's an, un it's an ideal type of femininity that doesn't exist. <laughs> So logically, and um, this is another argument that I've made about fourth wave feminism, which I'm not going to focus on too much today. Maybe I will discuss fourth wave feminism in regards to Laura Croft in a later episode. But it seems that fourth wave feminism, this new feminism that recently emerged, emerged, um, actually criticizes this post-feminist version of femininity. And this we see embodied in the second female cyborg to appear in the Terminator franchise, 
which is Grace from Terminator Dark Fate. Now, we will see in this discussion that Grace is actually in many ways very different from the TX. And then I would also argue different from the post-feminist ideal of empowerment and femininity. Okay, so first let's look at Grace's physical description. Okay, if you've watched the movie, you'll see that she's played by Mackenzie Davies. Is it Davies or Davids? I think it's Mackenzie Davies. Um, I never knew, but she was actually one of the, the cyborgs in Blade Runner. Was it the second Blade Runner or the first one? I can't even remember. But when I, I read an article and the title of the article was Why Does Terminator Dark Fate's Cast Look So Familiar? And then they showed a picture of her in Blade Runner. And I was like, oh my goodness, I saw her in Blade Runner. I, I never knew that. <laughs> but anyway, um, I think she's really cool. Um, so physically, Grace, so obviously Mackenzie Davis is quite tall. And you'll see in the, in the movie that, um, I think she trained quite a bit because her muscles, um, she's quite muscular and also quite flat chested. So, in contrast to the TX and similar to other the heroines from the 1980s like Ellen Ripley and Sarah Connor, Grace's facial features, which is her pronounced jaw and high nose, are very androgynous and she has short hair that is practical for a shoulder. I found quite interesting that at the end of Terminator 1, Sarah Connor also, um, as she's slowly evolving into this action heroine, her hair becomes shorter. At the end of Terminator 1, her hair is actually short, um, but then it's long again in Terminator 2, so I don't know. But um, it's interesting that short hair um, makes these characters more androgynous and more masculine. And this is a big contrast to um, the TX, who has long blonde hair. So... We see this actually with Ellen Ripley too. Her hair becomes shorter as she evolves over the three alien films. Um, and then in terms of the actress herself. So Sigourney Weaver played Ellen Ripley in Alien. Uh, and I, I love Sigourney Weaver. I'm like her biggest fan. If there's a Sigourney Weaver movie, I will watch it. Um, but actually similar to Sigourney Weaver, who has a straight nose and a well-defined jawline and a tall and, and I quote from other theorists, boyishly thin body. Um, Grace is also tall, slender. She has a straight nose, well-defined, well-defined jawline. And um, she's quite boyish. She doesn't, you don't really see her breasts or anything like that. She's quite flat chested too. So we see that throughout, Grace also wears functional clothing that functions to draw attention to her muscles, like um, Sarah Connor's tank top in Terminator 2, instead of drawing attention to like her breasts or thin waist or wide hips. And interestingly is that Grace's arms are also covered in scars from the surgery that she had to undergo to become cybernetically augmented. And then I found this detail very interesting. Grace actually takes clothing from men on three occasions of the film, even though the female option is always available to her. 
which even more further uh, emphasizes her androgyny. So, you know, the classic, um, as soon as someone comes back from the future, somehow they're naked because the time machine doesn't do well with clothing. So every time someone comes back, they're naked. And we see the TX is naked. Um, Grace is naked when she comes back, but you don't see much. And then also uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is naked when he comes back the first time. And then there's, of course, that classic scene where he sees the guy's leathers and he steals the bike and the leathers. So that's kind of what they do. But then interestingly, where the TX takes this very sexy outfit from uh, a very uh, stereotypically beautiful woman, Grace steals clothing from men. <laughs> Every time she takes the guy's clothing, which is um, interesting because that further emphasizes her androgyny and how far she moves away from the post-feminist ideal that the TX shows us. Okay, and then also in contrast to the TX, Grace does not resort to any form of sexuality or sex appeal in order to achieve her goals, but rather she uses brute strength, wit, and she works together with Sarah Connor and the T-800 to, um, to fight against the other Terminator from the future. Okay, so in many ways you can see that Grace is actually almost the exact opposite of the TX. Now, I'm not saying that Grace is a more attainable version of femininity because she is taller and more athletic than most women, but she does indicate an acute awareness of the obvious sexualization and actually, I think, the plain absurdity of the TX. And why I pointed out the scars on her arms is that her bodily imperfections, and I quote unquote, such as the scars from her surgery when she turned into a cyborg, are not covered up but rather displayed as evidence of her heroism. So she's not this like perfect woman <laughs> like the TX that doesn't have any stretch marks or scars or anything, but her scars are actually evidence that she is a hero and that she underwent a lot of training in order to become the hero. So the term pornographic subject that I quoted from Despina Kakudaki earlier used to describe Seven and that can also describe the TX, it hardly, hardly resonates with Grace and then clear efforts have been made to make Grace more real. So that is it in terms of the TX and Grace's uh, physical appearance. So you can see that in many ways, um, the recent, uh, most recent female cyborg in Terminator, I think, according to my opinion, is a much more empowering version of femininity because she has all those subversive aspects of the TX, but without the sexualization, which I think is quite positive. And for me, a move in the in a right direction in terms of their representation of women. Now, there is one more interesting thing about Terminator Dark Fate, and this is something I've argued about Seven of Nine and Ghost in the Shell and um, other female cyborgs too, is that recently the attitude towards cyborgs have changed. So maybe I can briefly recap an argument I made earlier, which is that Earlier cyborgs, such as the TX, uh, the Borg Queen, Seven of Nine, 
the major from the 1995 Ghost in the Shell anime, all of them uh, view embodiment and disembodiment as, uh, well, no, not embodiment. They view disembodiment as the ideal of human evolution. So the idea that our minds and bodies can be split. So that's obviously problematic for various reasons because I don't think that will ever be possible. Um, and second of all, <laughs> that um, if we were to put our brains or our minds into another body, such as a machine, uh, like a computer, or in another human body, or maybe a cybernetic body, that would have severe consequences for, first of all, our mental health, and also for feminism. Because, like I've argued in a previous episodes that you can go listen to, about Seven of Nine especially, if women lose their bodies, um, or if we don't have our female bodies, then we cannot actually uh, engage in activism for female rights, because a lot of women's issues relate directly to women's bodies, such as reproduction, uh, being able to give birth to children, sexualization, all of these things are related to women's bodies. But then the tone that the 1995 Ghost in the Shell movie takes and that the Borg Queen takes and that Seven of Nine in Star Trek Voyager takes and also arguably that the TX takes is the idea that uh, disembodiment, the idea that um, we can split our minds and our bodies is very has a lot of potential for feminism and is the epitome of human, human evolution. Now, cyber feminists have strongly argued against that because of the reasons I listed earlier. So I found it very interesting that in Terminator Dark Fate, the tone changes quite a bit, where earlier Terminator movies sees the machines as this, um, obviously, in all Terminator movies, you know, machines are the reason that humanity ends. Um, but in Terminator Dark Fate, the attitude towards machines is even more hostile. And Terminator Dark Fate really seems to take a very humanist approach. So let me explain myself more. Um, the time period in which Terminator Dark Fate plays off is unspecified. But it is established from the onset that machines pose a threat not only to humanity, maybe like it does in the earlier films, but to humanism itself. So to, to being human. <laughs> machines pose a threat to being human. Now, like I said, all Terminator films are concerned with artificial intelligence gaining sentience and destroying humankind. But Dark Fate adopts a tone that clearly separates the cold, unfeeling, inhumane machines from the intuitive, honorable, and humane ones. So there's this one scene where Sarah Connor meets Grace for the first time. And she says, oh, you're almost human. And then Grace is like, I am human, <laughs> just enhanced. So Grace is obviously very offended by the fact that Sarah Connor refers to Grace as a machine and mach Grace clearly differentiates between the cold, uh, hostile, unfeeling machine and 
humans. Um, she is human, but she's just enhanced. She doesn't want to identify as a machine. When the Rev-9, which is the machine from the future that comes to kill Danny, asks Connor, why not just let me have Danny? Or why not just let me have her? Connor replies, because we are not machines, you metal mother fluffer. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to repeat what she says exactly, but um, she's like, no, because we're not machines. But she's actually fighting side by side with two other machines, which is Grace and the T-800 model. So there's a clear distinction between good machines and bad machines. And then what I found even more interesting is that in Terminator Dark Fate, the T-800, which is Arnold Schwarzenegger, seems to have grown a conscience and he actually feels remorse for carrying out his mission of killing John. So the T-800 has even learned to love and care for a human family. And there was this one scene where um, he, yeah, his new job as a human, uh, and I quote unquote, um, is to hang curtains or he has like an upholstery business. And then at some point they're waiting for something to happen. So he's explaining to Grace, like, you know, how dare they put this color with that color? Um, and that's something we've never seen before in terms of the representation of the T-800 at least. He was always this really cold, hard killing machine. And um, he never showed any form of humanity. But now suddenly they imbue these machines with humanity and they separate between good machines and bad machines. So regarding Grace more specifically, her technological augmentations are actually one of her weaknesses. So where the 1990s and early 2000s cyborgs really embraced technology and really fetishized it actually, we see that now technology she is enhanced, but it is also her biggest weakness. Even though Grace's technological upgrades aid her in being a more effective soldier by actually heightening her human characteristics, such as her intuition, her strength, and her speed, they also limit her to only being able to carry out missions in short, intense bursts, as she describes it. While the human Sarah Connor can endure sustained combat with the Rev-9, Grace needs to continuously inject herself with medicine in order for her technological systems not to crash. In this way, Grace is then also a star contrast to the TX, who ruthlessly pursues its enemies without stopping, and while interfacing with other technologies and also turning them against humanity. So there's again a big difference between these two cyborgs and especially um, in terms of how the 2003 Terminator movie and the 2019 Terminator movie approach machines and cyborgs. Okay, and then one final detail about Grace is that she became a cyborg not out of the desire to move on to the next stage of human evolution, which is apparently to become machines, but out of necessity for the sake of her own survival. So we see that she doesn't actually want to be a machine, but um, she got really injured in the battlefield and then she had to do it to survive. So yes, very interesting differences between 
the 2003 Terminator Rise of the Machines and uh, 2019 Terminator Dark Fate. And this change we've seen in many cyborgs. Like I've argued about the Major in Ghost in the Shell. Uh, you can listen to those two episodes and also about Seven of Nine. The way that machines and cyborgs especially are being represented and approached in contemporary popular culture has changed quite a bit. And um, I've linked this to, to the rise of fourth wave feminism, but that is a discussion for another day. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you have found it informative and interesting. And I look forward to, yes, <laughs> recording another episode one week from now. So thank you for listening. Um, please uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel and um, Spotify and Instagram. And I'm also on Patreon. So please do all those things if you would like more content and special perks. And then thank you again for listening. This is the Sci-Fi sci Feminist signing off. Thank you. Bye-bye. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer. List other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Beyond Farpoint, a Star Trek The Next Generation podcast. It is one of Star Trek's best episodes, not just one of Q's best episodes, it's one of Star Trek's best episodes. Definitely. It adds some real interesting depth to not just Picard, but to that relationship between Picard and Q. And I think that's the one thing yeah. that runs for all these episodes, even weaker ones like Hiding Q and Encounter at Farpoint. The best thing about Q is his relationship with Picard, which is why I'm so glad he's coming back in season two of Picard, because mm. Patrick Stewart and John Delancey play off each other so well. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Her First Trek. A Star Trek review podcast. Anyway, they managed to save the day. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. After Kirk got beaten up by a bunch by, of kids. By a bunch of kids. They were smacking him with bats and he was like being hit by a crowd. I remember when he stood up and there was blood coming out of every part of his head. He was bleeding from the ears. I mean, I'm no medical expert, but yeah. I'm fairly sure if you're bleeding from the ears after a blow to the head, you've got to seek some medical attention. Yeah, from the ears, from the back of his head. You're probably having some kind of hemorrhage. I feel like his eyeballs are probably bleeding. Those kids, I mean, I know kids don't listen. I know that. Yeah. First hand, you know that. They really didn't listen. No, this, I mean, this was... It was so frustrating as, this a, was really as a viewer. After the first lot, I would have phased the lot of them. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.